This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Yehopitzville, brought to you by Pear Tree Canada. Uh, we've been talking to so many interesting people in so many different places and how you make a community Jewish in your own way. How do you bring people together in places where you don't usually think Jewish people are? And uh, one of the people I've always wanted to talk to on the show is uh, a, rich, a Canadian, Torontonian, a rabbi in Hamilton, a rabbi in Long Island, a rabbi now in of all places, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, and uh, a man I've spent some time with on some wonderful retreats. Uh, Rabbi Mark Biller is my guest. How are you, I'm sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, honored to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I with you. Um, what's a nice boy like you doing in a Little Rock, Arkansas? I ask myself that every day. I, uh, <laughs> and, and even more, what's a nice Jewish boy from Toronto doing thoroughly enjoying living in Arkansas. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've you been in a few different places. Rabbis sometimes move right. around. What, what, for those who don't know the rabbinic world, uh-huh. why the moving around? Um, some, some, it could be a lot of reasons. Sometimes a community uh, ages out or, you know, or is smaller. Sometimes you just want a different kind of challenge. You know, different communities have very different flavors. They can be very family-centered. It could be an older congregation. Uh, in this case, um, this synagogue was a really interesting challenge to me. It had been an Orthodox synagogue for over 100 years. Four or five years ago, voted to become a conservative shul. Uh, they were going to hire a student to come in once a month just to kind of tiptoe into the conservative world, and then COVID started. And so they've never, they had never had a conservative rap, full-time rabbi. So it seemed like a really interesting challenge to me to um, to kind of usher this community into becoming a conservative shul. Numbers-wise, how many Jewish souls are there? Uh, in Little okay, Rock? in all of Arkansas, there are 2,500 Jews and wow. 2,000 of whom are in Little Rock. And what would you say, uh, are they people who grew up in, in, in Little Rock or ended up in Little Rock because of work? Uh, what, yeah, how did they come it, together? it's an interesting combination. There, there's, um, there's an older German-Jewish community, which has been here since the 1850s, 1860s, um, and then a secondary Eastern European community that came in early 1900s. However, in, the, in our synagogue, we've got a large representation of uh, people from Chicago, uh, some people from New Orleans, uh, Maine. It, it's, really a, it's really a mixture. Hmm. People that came for work and then stayed. And what's the name of the synagogue, first of all? Uh, it's called Agudath Achim. Okay. Agudath Achim, yeah. And uh, did, had they usually had a full-time rabbi, or is this a first for them? Yeah. They had had a full-time rabbi until until that four years ago. I think the change from an from an Orthodox synagogue to a conservative it was a really big change. Mm-hmm. It meant that the previous rabbi wasn't the right fit for them. Uh, you know, everything was new, and they and they, they were really uh, kind of looking for a new identity after a 
100 plus years. So how do you as a rabbi go about that kind of work? Because it is, as you say, a challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, the interview process is pretty interesting as a rabbi. You start, the, the synagogues will put out a questionnaire, usually a 20, 25 page questionnaire about themselves. So you want to know if you're, if, you know, if who they are is somebody you're interested in. They start with your resume. Then it's a series of phone calls, Zoom calls, several visits usually, um, which means if you're interviewing in a couple of shuls at a time, you know, and you go to that shul two or three times to visit, over a month or two, you know, you could be looking at six, eight, ten, twelve visits back and forth. So it's uh, it's pretty intense. Uh, you start with a small committee. Yeah, then the, the larger board wants to meet you. Then there's often, well, in this case, uh, I came in for a weekend and the shul did what they called a town hall to bring in, you know, pretty much everyone from town to get a feel for the new rabbi coming in. Um, a very beautiful quality in Little Rock, which is, as we all know, kind of unusual. The, there are three shuls. There's a reform synagogue, there's our shul, and there's a Chabad. And the three shuls really get along mm -hmm. and go out of their way to maybe because it's such a small group, you know, we kind of need to be united to the point where part of my interview was an hour with the reform rabbi and an hour with the Chabad rabbi. And the, the board said to me flat out, if, you, if these are people that you don't think you'll get along with, we don't want you as our rabbi because we want a community. It's going to be kind of seamless. So part of my interview was uh, interviewing with the Reform Rabbi and the Chabad Rabbi. Which obviously you got along with them. Yeah, yeah, we had we had a good time. Yeah. yeah. So what do you? So how do you then go about like assessing where Jewish life is at? What do you bring to the table? Talk to yeah. me a bit about that. A background piece. My my very first pulpit when I graduated from biblical school was Montgomery, Alabama, which at the time I chose because it was going to be so different. Montgomery was you know, deeply, deeply Southern. Um, so I had a kind of feel for Southern Jewry, which is often um, can be not that observant, but intensely Jewish, you know, very uh, unified, you know, in particular um, in Montgomery and somewhat here, you know, it's really a Bible Belt down here. I mean, we're kind of on the fringe of it, but it's a very strong Christian world, and uh, which unites the Jewish community. And uh, so that was one of the flavors I was walking into. So, so back to your question. So, just repeat. How, how do I how do I assess? Yeah, like, you have to take the temperature. They're taking your temperature to see if you're the yeah. right guy, but you're taking their temperature yeah. and thinking what what is is there some. Uh, is there a membership issue here? Is there a cultural yeah. issue here? So what was your uh, yeah. diagnostics, as it were? Yeah, 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 yeah. So part of that happened in the town hall. Part of it happened, you know, in, in all the Zoom calls. The biggest temperature was a place that wanted to do well. People were committed to their community, and they really wanted to know what it meant to be a conservative synagogue. Um, you know, it, it, it was not as in a lot of southern towns, there was always the traditional synagogue, which didn't mean people lived such traditional lives. But the Judaism they knew, you know, was whatever their great-grandparents brought, you know, in the 1890s, 1900s. Um, so 
so for me, these were people that were really interested in Judaism. Even, even if they didn't know that much, they wanted to know. And that, that was really important to me. I mean, the last thing, for me, the last thing I want to be is a rabbi in a shul room, kind of begging people to show up and trying to convince them that why it's good to come to a class. These were people that were, they were kind of hungry, mm-hmm. hungry to know. Um, and I'm going to go down a limb a little bit. I think they were a little bit alienated from very strict rituals that they didn't understand. And so they had just kind of stopped coming in a way, some of them. Um, and what they, what they were looking for and what I was looking for were they wanted to, to learn and know what they were doing and why. And that, that's one of my loves is just to, to make, to make our, our rituals make sense to people. Yeah, because it can be hollowed out, right? You know what they are, you do them. I always yeah. say you could interrupt somebody in the middle of a prayer and go, hi, do you know what you're actually saying? And quite, you know, with kindness, they would say, no. But I know yeah. the song, and I know this yeah. prayer, and it makes me feel good, and that'd be about it, yeah. right? Which is worth a lot, yeah. you know, to know that, you, that if you do feel good and you're connected to something that, that's ancient and is all over the world. But, uh, but I spent a lot of time explaining things, and, uh, and these are people that really want to know. Um, I started a, a class called uh, Torah Tidbits, where every Thursday we get on Zoom, just 20 minutes, a little intense piece of Torah, and all kinds of people, including from the Reformed congregation, come on because they just haven't had that opportunity to really delve deeply into something. You know, Come on for 20 minutes, be part of a group that's studying and then and then go about your day. So it's just uh, it's a lot of interest, which is very gratifying as a rabbi. So when you're doing this, I, I, uh-huh. I guess there's the whole point of you don't want to get ahead of your congregation. You know, you don't want to say today we're not going to use the Cedarim. We're going to meditate all day and and then have the board say uh, we brought these Cedarim for a reason. Right. So how do you navigate the tensions of what you perceive coming into a place like this as would be a good idea and what the body politic would have uh, acceptable? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you've been around shoals. (laughs) (laughs) Once or twice. Yeah. Once or twice. Yeah. 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 That's interestingly, Kind of counterintuitively, rabbis are often more liberals, a funny word to use, but, but like you say, they're often ahead of the congregation. You would think that rabbis might be the most strict, but the more you understand, the more willing you are to play with, with, with what you know. So, uh, so it's often the people that know less that are very rigid because that's what they know and they don't want to let go of it. And then, uh, so, so it's a really good question on your part. So, so one of the things that I did, for instance, um, before High Holidays, uh, which was my first High Holidays with these people, I put together a think tank to talk about which are the traditional pieces that mean so much to you that we're not going to touch them, and what kind of things might you want to do that are a little different. And uh, you know, even something like having a congregational lunch after Rosh Hashanah, I mean, that's not a ritual issue, but it wasn't something they'd done and it was blending the ritual with the social, which I think is really important. Um, 
we for Tashlich, which is a ceremony on high holidays where uh, you go out to the water and figuratively throw away your sins, we um, they would always have a great turnout for the ritual, and then people didn't want to come back for the service, so they kind of ran away. Um, so, so we did Tashlich, but I I publicized that we were going to do a whole series of icebreakers around Jewish traditions. And then we sat and did some text learning, which they had never done as part of a uh, high holiday service. So that was one of the outgrowths of, um, of doing the think tank. People wanted discussion as well as the service, social as well as the ritual. So rather than me saying, you know, let's try these things, it came from the group. So they were all kind of pre-sold on it because you know, we'd come up with it together. That's, uh, so I think the biggest thing, you have to really listen. What is it that keeps you going as a rabbi? Because you're not like in one place for 50 years, right? You're not yeah. Rabbi Baskin in Hamilton or something. Like yeah. Well, I understand it's still writing. Still for, writing. Uh, He's yeah. like 100 yeah. or something. It's crazy. Yeah, over. Yeah, over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so when I was in school, I had a friend who was a chaplain in the Navy, uh, Jewish chaplain. His chaplain teacher once said to him, you have to see yourself as a goblet, a wine goblet, or water. And you have to fill that goblet. And then once you're so full that it's overflowing, overflow is what you give to people. And that's been a really good model because it's very easy to burn out in, you know, in any kind of service job. Um, so, so I don't know if this is what you're asking, but part, like, partly I'm very careful um, with my own health, you know, exercise, I eat really well, um, uh, because it's a job where I'm giving all the time. Um, and I also try to create playful situations in the teaching. So I do a lot of small group teaching where we get to know each other. Uh, we do a lot of, um, again, like the icebreakers, every, every, every one of those tour tidbit sessions and also the hour long sessions I do in person with people. We do go-rounds where we, everybody gives their opinion on some issue and we get to know about each other. So it's socially and spiritually enriching as well as, you know, the rabbi taught something today. So uh, that's part of it. I mean, I, I love the social, spiritual part of being a rabbi. Right. So I try to build and, and that feeds me. So what's Little Rock like? Well, yeah. Little Rock's a great place. I am. Um, I talked to the dean of the rabbinical school before I came here, and I was I was very concerned because I had to pull out an atlas to see. Like I, I had no clue. <laughs> you know, I mean, that sounds so snooty, but I, I you know I knew it was somewhere down there. Um, so anyway, when I, when I got back to uh, New York after my interview, the dean said to me, um, "I have questions." Yeah, he says, "Was there a Walgreens or a Rite Aid?" I said, "Yeah." And he started to laugh. He said, okay, so you're going to civilization, <laughs> which he knew. Yeah. And he could tell that I'd been afraid before yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Arkansas is a very conservative state politically. Mm-hmm. Little Rock is a, is a liberal bubble within the state. And then the Jewish community is a liberal bubble within Little Rock. So... Um, and there's a lot of um, a lot of medical specialties here. Like one of the top places for uh, 
for uh, brain surgery is here in Little Rock. I mean, who would know? Yeah. Who, who would have known? So, so there's a lot of sophistication, you know, even though you know, with all the prejudices, Easterners or Northerners could come into a place like this with, there's, um, there's a little of everything. I, uh, I, I took a cab the other day, and the cab driver was from Nigeria. And sort of jokingly, I said, I guess there are not too many Nigerians here. He said, oh, no, no, we have a big population. We have a Nigerian house where we do cultural events. Like, who would know? Right. So um, uh, there's also, to my surprise, a lot of interfaith work in Little Rock, um, a lot. There's, there's an interfaith camp every week, every, sorry, every summer for a week, which is Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and everybody else kids for a week I, I was asked to come in and speak and it hit me you know we're in a pretty southern you know southern midwestern place where these parents are self-selecting to have their children share a summer experience with kids from different faiths and um they do a peace dinner every year we had 150 people come together it was all kosher mostly vegan so that um you know, it was, so it was basically halal and kosher and, and so everybody could come with speakers from all the religions. Um, that, that, that's been a nice and surprising aspect. So a lot of interfaith uh, work. Um, there's a local church that does a Stand United with Israel evening once a year. They, they, they invited me to speak. And while I stood there, they raised $25,000 to build a bomb shelter in a center in Israel that works with um, injured soldiers and handicapped children. Who would know? Yeah. And so they do that every year. Um, and not only that, they, they raised the 25000 and then their emeritus minister came out and said, we've pledged $250,000 to get Jewish families out of the Ukraine. And they started fundraising towards that while I was standing there. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you don't realize, often we don't realize how much we carry stereotypes and tropes in our heads. So yeah. you think of the South and you think of racism. You think of the South and you think of big heart, small mind, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. And then there yeah. you are. Little Rock, by the way, was Bill Clinton. Uh, territory of course right yeah you of know course. so yeah. that idea that it is a liberal enclave in a uh, highly republican uh, state yeah. is, is interesting because they did have had democratic governor uh, uh, that they produced so when you think of is it part of your responsibility to um create now a whole new idea for them because they have moved from orthodox to conservative so in a way, you're you're going to have to cut through the underbrush and say, "This yeah. way, everybody." Yeah, yeah, it's true. They don't, and and I, I say this kindly. They they don't really have a great idea of what it is to be a conservative school. Yeah, you know, which they they'll they're the first to say that, and they want to know. So, so yeah, so so of course, there's a bit of an old guard who anytime, you know, I'll, I mentioned something that. You know, it might be accepted pretty widely, even in a modern Orthodox setting. They'll say, "Oh, you know, here comes here comes the new stuff." You know, the non-traditional. 
And I got to bring in texts and things and show them, no, no, this is like very mainstream Judaism I'm talking about. You know, it just, you haven't known about it, but it is. So yeah, it's really, it's really showing a new, a new flavor. Um, and, you know, and conservative Judaism is also a very interesting, it's, to me, it's the most interesting stream because conservative Judaism is saying we, we really respect the tradition and at the same time, we're adapting to the modern world. And it's not all your choice, you know, which it is in some, in some streams of Judaism. You know, we're constrained by some traditions and yet completely dedicated to meaningful modern Jewish life. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a lot of navigating and a lot of learning, even for people that know a conservative Jewish world and certainly for people that are learning it. What would you say is the difference between American, not the Orthodox parts, but the conservative mm -hmm. reform, whatever, between yeah. American Judaism and you as a Canadian, what Canadian Judaism is like? What would be the big difference? Yeah. The biggest difference for me is, uh, is, is, in a way, a difference between Canadian and American culture. Uh, you know, I mean, America is based on the melting pot, and you want to become as as much like, and I mean, the tradition is, you know, Canada is kind of the toss salad, you know, you're just supposed to keep your identity while becoming part of something. So um, I once heard of a Baruch Friedman Cole, who was Rabbi Bethsedek, who came from the States. And when he first came to Canada, he gave a talk where he said that Canadian culture is actually, it, it was almost truer to Jewish values than American values, than American culture, because it it talked about separations and um, and even compared having a queen or now a king to you know having values that are above politics of the day, and that that that, that was very much a Jewish concern. You know how you have values that have nothing to do with the local culture and the politics. So I, I think for for Americans, there's been such a pressure to be an American that they have to work a little harder to, to juggle what it is to be Jewish and American. I mean, these are broad generalizations, so you got to take it with a lot of salt. For that. But I think I think there's something to that, and there's almost an encouragement in the Canadian culture to have separate sets of value in your mind and to respect separate sets of value. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, how come you don't do this in Canada? <laughs> how come I don't do that? <laughs> um, well, is there something I, I, we I said? <laughs> no, I was. I was. You did. No, you look. You know, how many Jews are in Canada, and how many millions of Jews are in the states? Are just more right. more positions. So that that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know, all our families in Toronto. For many years, we wanted to be back in Toronto, but it, it was just a question of what jobs were available when. Yeah. However, you know what's interesting though, in, in all of the shuls that I've been at, they they talked about what they sense as my Canadian sensibility, that there's sort of more of a gentleness and a delicacy and a, a, a kind of a politeness that. Uh, that they see as very Canadian. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard that in, in every place I've been. How, so you've been in 
Long Island, you've been in Montgomery, you've been in Little Rock, where else? And and Hamilton. And Hamilton, yeah. And Hamilton, yeah. Yeah. Any other American yeah. places? Um Oh, I was in New Jersey as well. Right. Yeah, from Hamilton, I went to New Jersey, yeah. So New Jersey and New York was kind of one part of our life. And then and Hamilton and then Montgomery and now sort of circling back to a, a southern spot. Now, let's just say a huge story. Uh, you mentioned Clinton. So, and Little Rock being a, a liberal enclave. So one of the stories they tell in our school was that when Clinton was running, or you know, for uh, president, of course, Jews from all over North America and all over the states came to work on his campaign, which ran over through the high holidays. And it was the one time in the school's history when they had to see you know, the every school has a wall between the sanctuary and the social hall. They have a large social hall here. Had to take the wall down, and high holidays was filled to the very back of the social hall because there were Jews from all over North America in town looking for a shul for Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> it was a proud, uh, a, a proud Clinton Jewish Jewish community uh, story that they tell. What's the relationship between uh, the, the Jewish community and the black community? Is it one of affinity or estrangement? What is it in Little Rock? You know, I would say it's not strong because it hasn't, it hasn't even really come up, which is very interesting. You know, I've thought of the Jewish Christian and the Jewish Muslim world. Um, there's, I think there's been, I actually think there's been very little connection, which might reflect a little connection there might be in the black and white world. Um, what is interesting, I live in a complex that has a fair-sized black population, and a number of people who see me walking in the shul on Saturday have asked if they could come. And a number of them have come to services. Um, one Saturday morning, a woman pulled up in her car, rolled the window down, and said, you know, you're going to services? Yeah. And I, she said, I'm going to services too. And then she looked at me, and I went, ah, Seventh-day Adventists, right? And she was so excited that I knew. <laughs> and then the following Saturday, she came to shul because she wanted to come to services. So uh, Why do they want to come? I think, well, I think they see, you know, they're, they're interested in Jewish roots because of the biblical roots. They're, they're very open to that. Mm. They, were, they were in Montgomery, too. Um, what, one of the stories that I tell, you know, actually two weeks ago, you know, when, when God says, Abraham, uh, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. You know, when we lived in Montgomery, I heard this often from black people that I met. They had great grandparents who were sharecroppers. And the Jewish merchant in the late 1800s was the go-between between white and black society in the South, because they, you know, they had a they had a cart, and they would go to all the farms and sell stuff. And in fact, the the Jews were referred to as the rolling store by by the black sharecroppers. Before they could sell anything, the black people they met would insist. That, they, that the Jewish merchant come so come into their home, his hands on their children's head and bless them, because they believed you know they knew their biblical verses and they believed literally, you're getting a blessing from God through this Jewish man and it's coming to you. And I'll bless those that bless you. So that was a very interesting black yeah. Jewish connection, and I heard it from many people who didn't know each other. 
So it, it was a story that was interesting. So you're a Southerner now. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I reckon. I re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very comfortable here. It's, it actually, in an odd way, it's Canadian. It's very polite. Uh, here in particular, in this mid, the Midwestern, if your car breaks down on the side of the street, people stop to help you. They offer you lifts. It's um, it's a very down-to-earth, accepting place, contrary to what, you know, all the, yeah. the baggage carry about the South. It's not New Jersey. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> Well, every place got its good points. Every place got everything. <laughs> you and you've seen yeah. a lot of it. Um, I appreciate you t- taking the time to talk That's with me. Yeah. All right, you take care of yourself. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Jeff. Really, an honor to talk to you, Rabbi Mark Biller from Little Rock, Arkansas, y'all. This has been Yehopitzville, sponsored by Pear Tree Canada, reducing the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift donors. Learn more at PearTreeCanada.com. I'm your host, Ralph Benmergi. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Louis Smile. And if you want to travel with us across this great country, visiting more small Jewish communities, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more of my work, I host another podcast called Not That Kind of Rabbi, And if you want to hear more Canadian Jewish stories, you can find them at the Canadian Jewish News' website, the cjn.ca. Thanks, and we'll see you next time in Yehopitzville. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.